ETF Prime is hosted by Nate Geracine, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. NASDAQ ETFs are always on the leading edge of market quality, execution, and reform. Providing tailored ETF services spanning product development, compliance, trading, market structure support, and unparalleled marketing tools to differentiate, activate, and amplify your brand throughout your product life cycle. Visit our ETF landing page today for high-touch ETF support every step of the way. Now it's time for ETF Prime where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate Geraci. All right, joining me will be Tom Hendrickson, president of Vetify, who last week, they had some pretty big news. They acquired the Robo Global Index Suite, which if you're not familiar with that uh, suite, it includes the index behind one of the more popular thematic ETFs out there, the uh, Robo Global Robotics and Automation ETF, ticker Robo. So we're going to start by briefly touching on that acquisition and how it fits into Vetify's business overall. And then from there, we're actually going to dive much further into the broader world of thematic ETFs. Tom has the latest Vetify engagement data on this space, which uh, everyone knows I love. So we'll find out the uh, themes and thematic ETFs that are generating the most interest right now. I'll then be joined by Sean Alaka, editor-in-chief at ETF.com, who this year, they are back with their annual ETF industry awards. So these honor the best and brightest from across the industry, in this case from last year, 2022. So we'll walk through the finalists in several of the biggest categories, including ETF of the Year, Best New ETF, and ETF Issuer of the Year. There are 15 categories in all, and we'll just have some fun batting around the different categories and contenders, so look forward to that. And then to close this week, simply a fantastic guest for you. I'll be joined by Eddie Alfenbein, who is the Portfolio Manager for the Advisor Shares Focused Equity ETF, ticker symbol CWS. Uh, in a nutshell, I would describe Eddie as a traditional bottom-up, fundamental active manager. And his ETF, this has a very interesting backstory, along with a uh, an interesting fee structure, which was actually a first in the ETF space. So be sure to stick around for that conversation. As always, questions or comments, you can find me on Twitter, at Nate Geraci, or you can go to ETFprime.com. Let's start with Vetify's Tom Hendrickson. 
Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. We can deliver value to that advisor because that's what they're telling that they want to engage in. We want to make sure that we're putting the right pieces of content in front of them at the right time. Tom, welcome back to the uh, podcast. Great having you on this week. Good morning, Nate. Great to be here. All right. So I feel like every time you join me on this podcast, there's always some sort of uh, breaking news from Vetify. Uh, it's amazing. And last week did come this announcement that Vetify acquired the Robo Global Index Suite, which I know many listeners are uh, familiar with the Robo Global Robotics and Automation ETF, ticker Robo that I mentioned at the top. You know, that's a, what, $1.3, $1.4 billion ETF. And, of course, Robo Global has some other uh, unique products as well. But just start by telling us about this latest acquisition. Thanks, Nate. Yeah, you're right. It's always uh, an exciting time here at Vetify. I think one of the things that, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on is our dynamism. And, and we think that there's a lot of opportunity. And, um, you know, as we look at the Robo acquisition of the index suite specifically, I think there was a lot of things that that worked really well in our business, and, and frankly, you know, we had been admirers of that uh, index suite from afar for a, for a long period of time. They're true pioneers. Uh, the team that built the suite of indexes, you know, going back to the launch of, of the Robo Indice back in August of 2013, they, you know, there weren't a lot of conversations about some of the exposures and themes and, and companies that are included in this index when we think about. Uh, nearly 10 years ago. And, and so the innovation was certainly something, um, you know, that we feel uh, attracted us there. And, and, and also the way in which they, they positioned, uh, you know, their business and, and the ways in which they interacted with their clients. It was very much a client-centric mindset, start with how they could add value to the client relationship. And I think that was extremely attractive. And, and then the, the rigorous expert-led, you know, data-driven research process was one that was, was, is very near and dear to our hearts. And, you know, as it relates to our, our energy suite and, and energy infrastructure, you know, led by our head of research, Stacey Morris, who I know joins you from time to time on, on this podcast, Nate. So I think, um, you know, in a vacuum, those were all things that were, were certainly very, very interesting to us. And, and frankly, it was, it's complementary to our business. Uh, it adds depth and breadth of our index lineup, especially in the thematic space. It gives us exposure to some new markets, uh, you know, the European market. There's some very interesting licensing deals over there that, that we're able to now uh, step into some excellent relationships with partners uh, across the pond and, and even in, in uh, further afield down in Australia and, and other markets where these indexes have been licensed. So um, you know, overall, it was it was a great, uh, you know, great week last week, but we're just getting started in terms of leaning into this new addition to the Vetify suite. Yeah. And Tom, on that note, and, and you mentioned this being complimentary to your uh, business, and we'll, we'll get to this uh, latest Vetify thematic ETF engagement data in a moment. But for people who aren't familiar, can you just give us a quick snapshot of some of the other index solutions under the Vetify umbrella? And maybe more importantly, just how you're approaching building out this indexing business overall? Yeah, absolutely. Nate. So, so we do have a, a broad array of indexes, uh, you know, nearly a thousand indexes uh, across the Vetify suite um, that underpin now more than $17 billion of, of investment products. So that's where, 
issuers of, of investment um, you know, vehicles are coming to Vetify and licensing our index suite and, and certainly the, the heritage of, of the Alarian brand, um, you know, again, being pioneers in the energy and energy infrastructure space, powering an ETF like AMLP and, and many others in the space. Uh, and, but then across the thematic space, we've got a, a really interesting lineup that provides exposure to things like space crypto, natural disasters and, and disaster response, autos, travel and leisure, water technology. So the, the thematic space is, is one that, you know, as we're going to talk about, Nathan, there's a lot of interest uh, that we're seeing, certainly, and we're seeing it in many ways, both through behavioral data, but also through flows. Uh, so we have, we have an, an, uh, you know, a, a, an offering that's, that's quite broad now and complemented by the RoboSuite. But in addition to some of these, uh, you know, strategies like energy and, and the different themes that I mentioned, we do also have a, a, a robust suite of, um, you know, broad exposure indexes that really speak to the heart of a portfolio. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're building the, the index business at Vetify as, as complementary to other lines of business, which I could speak to really briefly as well. Um, but, but really from a customer centric solution oriented mindset. How could someone come to Vetify and how do we have the right things on the shelf, so to speak, so that we could service all of those different needs across the spectrum of the portfolio? Well, yeah, take just a minute here. Talk about those other business lines. Yeah. So, you know, Nate, it's kind of interesting. So so Vetify as a brand, uh, you know, is is, is quite nascent. We, only, we Vetify turns one in May, uh, so in a little bit over a month. But the capabilities underpinning Vetify are, are more than 75 years in market when you think of the different, uh, you know, products and, and the brands, like I mentioned, like Alarian and Advisor Perspectives and ETF Trends and ETF Database and S-Network Global Indexes and now and now the Robo Suite. And so you add all those up, the, the heritage is, is very deep and the expertise is deep and, and driven by, you know, hundreds of years of experience uh, across the team. And so... Vetify, while a relatively newcomer from a brand perspective, is certainly has a long heritage of, of being a go-to provider across the spectrum of products that we, that we service our market. And we really think about um, our customers in two you know, larger groups, but they're complementary. So we think of our, our B2C audience, the, the folks, investors, you know, often advisors, uh, but also retail investors and, and institutional investors engaging with the Vetify platform, providing them value when they're reading articles on etftrends.com or they're consuming data on etfdb.com or they're, they're reading the, the latest practice management piece on advisorperspectives.com, thinking about nurturing that audience and making sure that we're you know, providing value to them. And then the other constituent would be our, our B2B audience, which are really our, our partners who are issuers of investment product and we think about a lot of the ways in which we can help, um, you know, deepen the relationship of that B2C audience for our B2B partners. And we do that in four main ways. And we're, and we're sort of focused on the indexing capability now, like I said, underpinning more than $17 billion in uh, investment product. But we also can help grow um, our, our partners' uh, exposure in the market by leveraging the digital distribution capabilities that we have. And then there's a, you know, as we often talk about, Nate, there's a lot of really interesting data and analytics that come off of the back end of that platform that we can use as insight to help drive more efficient decision making within our, our partner's business. 
And then, of course, I, I'd be certainly remiss to, to not mention our in-person events business, which is really the embodiment of our uh, mission, which is to transform financial services from an industry into a community, one relationship at a time. So it's those four capabilities and the lineage being, you know, often sort of individual companies, people might have thinking, you know, might, might still think of Vetify as having the ETF trends lineage, which, which it does, but it's become so much more through the combination. And what we've found most effective, Nate, is where we can deliver the most value is, is when we're able to engage across multiple dimensions of the different product capabilities. So starting with an index relationship, but then, you know, moving to once an index is licensed, how do we partner with an issuer to help grow a product, for example? And, and similarly, from a data analytics perspective, how are we always infusing that in a helpful way into our conversations so that we can be a, a partner that's differentiated in that regard and, and, and also is helpful in making uh, more efficient and effective decisions with an asset management industry, which we know is, is you know, coming out of a, a challenging year. So everyone's looking to make, uh, you know, every dollar go as far as they can. Well, again, congratulations on this latest acquisition. Uh, like I said, there's always some sort of breaking news from Vetify. I can't wait to see what you have next time you join me here. I'm going to say there's greater than a 50% chance that uh, you will have something new. But in any event, let's uh, move on here and get into this topic of thematic ETFs overall. And we'll lean on some of the Vetify data and analytics uh, in this case. And you know, Tom, I'll set the backdrop to this by saying, look, thematic ETFs were all the rage in 2021. They had a, a monster year. But then they did come back down to earth uh, last year as the markets uh, soured a, a little bit. And so right now, I show there's somewhere around 270 thematic ETFs on the market, uh, something in the neighborhood of about $80 billion in assets. But that's actually down from over $140 billion towards the end of 2021 or early 2022. Now, clearly, a lot of that has been performance-driven, right? You can think about an ETF like, uh, say, the ARK Innovation ETF, ARKK, uh, in the performance there and what that's done to assets. But, you know, overall, that's still a, a very big decrease in thematic ETF assets. So before we get into some specific thematic ETFs in terms of engagement, I'm just curious, where's your head at on uh, sort of the overall state of thematic ETFs right now? Well, maybe I'll start most broadly, Nate. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think of, and, and, and I know we touch on this often, but I think that it's a point worth reiterating is that the, the democratization and access that the ETF wrapper and, and both, you, know, you mentioned ARKK, which is an actively managed strategy, but also index-based or index-powered strategies, certainly those, you know, complementing each other in a portfolio. Um, you know, the, the access here is just always, you know, blows my mind. You mentioned 270 different ETF options just within this space and one that has seen, uh, you know, meteoric growth, uh, you know, prior to, you know, early 2020, we we're talking about, you know, 20 or $30 billion in the space and then, uh, you know, ballooned up to that, you know, $140, 150000000000 billion mark that you mentioned. And I, I always think that the investor, the end investor is winning when there's more choice. So I think, you know, that that's something that certainly strikes me. A couple other points. So one would be, uh, despite what you mentioned, Nate, and, and your your figures were, you know, spot on from from what I can tell as well, is that despite a, you know, you know, let's not beat around the bush, frankly, a, a really horrible year in, in the broader thematic suite of, that, that you mentioned, uh, the, the outflows actually were 
were a lot less than you might expect given the underperformance. So, so a little less than um, you know one percent of the the outflows happening there in a, in a really really challenging year. So I think you know that sort of raised my eyebrow and, and, and had me thinking about the concept of resiliency. And then you know I, I think that you you make the point about it, it's not all created equal within the thematic space and and uh, you know ARKK being a bit of the the granddaddy there. But as you break down the, the 270 or so offerings, the, most of those are still quite nascent, you know, 180 or so less with less uh, than 100 million in AUM. There's about 55 of them that reside in that 100 to 100, you know, to 500 million in AUM. And then as you crest 500 million, the numbers get quite a bit smaller, only about 17 between 500 and a billion, 15 between one and two billion and only 14 that reside in that uh, you know above two billion state. So it's really interesting to see how the space is, has grown, and and I think that there's more on the horizon as we think about uh, broader adoption and continued innovation. Well, and to your point, uh, you know the money overall has been sticky in these products. Uh, not to go back to something like ARKK, but again, if you look last year. That thing was down, if I recall correctly, like 70%, 75%, and I believe it actually took in a little bit of money. Um, mm -hmm. And I think when you look at the thematic ETF space overall, there are a lot of different potential use cases here. So I think some investors view these as tactical trading tools. Certainly, there's some investors that view these as more strategic tools. I can't remember, Tom, if you and I have discussed this before. I, I know I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast at some point, but um, we actually like thematic ETFs as investor behavior tools. And I always describe this the same way, which is that I believe most investors have uh, some semblance of a gambler inside of them. You, you probably do. I know I do. And so the question is, well, uh, how do you account for that? How, how do you control for that? Because we know gambling when investing is a uh, value destroyer over time. And so what we what we have found is that if we allocate, say, two or three or even five percent of a portfolio to thematic ETFs, that actually helps investors stick with the other uh, 95 percent plus globally diversified, uh, extremely boring portfolio. And I think the reason is, is because people feel like they're having that uh, gambling itch scratched to some degree. They, they feel like they have that potential for some extra upside. And I would argue that if a two or three or five percent allocation in thematic ETFs helps investors stick with that boring ninety-five percent of the, uh, the the rest of the portfolio, to me that's a home run, because that boring portfolio is not always easy to stick with. We we saw that last year. And then I would also add that even if someone doesn't have that gambler inside of them, it's very possible they have strong interests in certain areas of the market. Maybe they're really passionate about, you know, robotics and artificial intelligence and how those areas might impact the future. Well, from my perspective, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a small allocation to a thematic ETF in that space, you know, whether it's robo or, or something else. To me, really what it comes down to, if you're going to head down that path with thematic ETFs, I, I say this with uh, an allocation of Bitcoin uh, as well, but it comes down to proper position sizing and then making sure you rebalance if you do hit a home run to the upside. Don't don't keep that risk on the table. But I, I guess, the, you know, the bottom line is, is that I, I can tell you from my perspective, we have seen firsthand that thematic ETFs can help uh, investors from a behavioral perspective.
My apologies, Nate. Could you repeat that part? I was just checking the lines on the uh, upcoming NHL playoffs on my favorite game. No, just kidding. Uh, no, I, I, I completely agree. And like you say, it's that, uh, you know, the the dessert analogy as well, like with, with a little bit of the dessert on the plate, you know, making sure that you're eating your staples. And, and ultimately, that's what it sounds like you are, are using in certain instances where you think that that's a behavioral tool to, uh, you know, to stick to the core allocations, which are, are probably the, the bread and butter of, of your portfolio, if, if I'm hearing that. If I'm hearing that, yeah, no, you're hearing it exactly right, and and you know this is it's anecdotal, but it we find that it works. So this isn't something that I'm pulling out of thin air. That it really works. Well, Nate, I know we want to get to uh, a little bit of the the behavioral data, which 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 is interesting. You know, the other thing, just as as we think about um, you know the next number of years and, and the adoption of of thematic ETFs or some other thematic investment vehicle within within a portfolio. I did want to just tease out one thing that I, I saw some, you know, white space or, or, or opportunity as it related to a recent um, poll that we did within a, one of our webcasts. We're interacting with financial advisors, you know, every every week and, and asking them questions within our web platform where we, we host live events. And the question, and it was in the context of a webcast focused on thematics. And, and the question what was, what was your what is your current allocation to thematic growth? And more than 55% of the, the audience, about 450 advisors, said they didn't have any. Um, and then, you know, there was a, a, about a 30% that said it was very, very small, like 1% to 5%. And, and then, you know, there was a, you know, 14% or so that had over 5%. But it just struck me as, um, although there's more uh, options within this space, certainly in the ETF wrapper. And, and we did crest $140 billion a, a few quarters ago. It seems like there is more opportunity for growth more broadly as, as the adoption doesn't seem as well penetrated as, as it might, as we look all, you know, two, three, four, five years down the road. Any thoughts on that? No, I mean, I think that's interesting and it makes sense. If you look at uh, ETF issuers, they're, they're still launching products in this space. So clearly they see the opportunity here. Um, and I think it goes back to what I'm saying or what I was saying earlier. There's a lot of different ways that you can use thematic ETFs. I think it depends on your investment beliefs. Again, we take more of a behavioral perspective, but there are a lot of use cases here. And when you, when I think about the white space in the ETF uh, industry overall, uh, you know, we all know the plain vanilla stuff's all spoken for. I would argue that smart beta is, is pretty well uh, spoken for. Uh, I think there's a lot of white space now in active ETFs and certainly in the thematic category. And so I think that your poll data speaks to that. Um, Tom, we are running a little bit short on time here. I know uh, late yesterday you pulled some of the latest Vetify engagement data on themes and thematic ETFs. Do you want to run through that real quick? I'll just hand this over to you. I'm, I'm very curious to hear what you found. Yeah, I'll, I'll step through it quickly, Nate. And, and so as we think about thematics, uh, you know, we're tracking over 30 different, you know, let's call them sub-themes, you know, things like 5G or ag tech, or you mentioned cannabis, cybersecurity, remote work, video games and esports, things like that. Those aren't the ones I'm going to touch on. I, I'll, I'll, I'll tease out three. And, and like you said, I'll step through them relatively quickly. So I, I'd be remiss not to talk about, you know, robotics and artificial intelligence. And so what we saw, you know, there was there's obviously been a huge amount of uh, industry exposure and, and uh, rightfully so a lot of news and press and coverage around chat GPT and, and 
other large language models and, and how they are, you know, uh, changing the world in, in certain regards. And we, we saw a 6x spike when the, in, in that uh, robotics and AI theme early in January when that came out, which was really interesting because two things. One, um, you know, it came down from that, you know, massive spike, but it has sustained about a, a two times the interest over when we look at over 2022. This is amongst financial advisors. Um, and, and then also speaks to the fact that uh, uh, it was actually a, a pretty good foreshadowing of some of the flows that, that followed. And, and, you know, beyond uh, some of the things we've talked about before, there's lots of other ways to get exposure to this space. You know, there's uh, a Global X product, Bots, that you mentioned, the ARC suite. There's actually an ARKQ, which provides some exposure, as well as a, a First Trust product, ROBT. So, you know, there's, there's options within, you know, that space. Uh, quickly, Nate, I'd, I'd also be uh, lacking. I need to get in a little bit on crypto here. Uh, the, the blockchain, this actually blew me away. The, the blockchain theme had its highest engagement ever in the first quarter of 2023, which I understand there's a lot going on and there's a lot of drivers behind that. And, and certainly there's been some runs in, in some of the headline cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. Um, but for that to, to be a, have a higher amount of advisor engagement than it did in some of those go-go, you know, late 2021 quarters was, was really interesting to me. Obviously some funds in there like BLOK and Amplify product, LEGR, BLCN. And then, and then really, uh, the other one, Nate, just on the other side of the spectrum in terms of lower engagement, uh, the low carbon theme, um, you know, had its lowest level of engagement that we've seen across across the platform uh, for the last six or seven quarters in the first quarter of 23. Uh, not not to say that that's not a theme absolutely worth researching, but just that kind of jumped off the page to me. Um, you know, a number of different products within that space, like CRBN, for example, provides exposure to that that sort of theme. But just as I looked at, you know, the 30 themes over the last uh, eight or 10 quarters, those were three things that jumped off the page. You know, I was able to use our uh, Vetify Explorer tool to do that analysis and research, but um, thought you might find that interesting and, and uh, uh, somewhat valuable. Yeah. If you had to guess, which of those themes do you think uh, caught my attention? And blockchain. <laughs> Correct. Uh, of course, the, uh, the low carbon one is a low hanging fruit for me. I think a lot of... Uh, People know my views on the uh, ESG ETF space and that those low carbon uh, products. It's really just ESG with a different name. But, yeah, I, I would uh, have to call out blockchain. And I'll tell you what I'm interested in watching moving forward is whether the, uh, the, the performance and the interest in the space will actually translate to flows. Uh, I, I was actually looking last week. If you go in and take the leaderboard in the ETF space and remove, you know, leverage and inverse products, a lot of the uh, the blockchain ETFs are at the top of the list. That a uh, Valkyrie Bitcoin Miners ETF uh, ticker WGMI, which is a great ticker, that thing's up nearly a hundred percent. And there are others out there, but if you look at flows, the flows haven't been there at all. And so that's interesting hearing that you said this is at the highest level. Uh, now compared to what would you say first quarter of 2020 
Yeah, that was going back uh, 10 quarters, I think, in that case. Yeah, first quarter of 10, uh, so nine quarters. Yeah, yeah, which is not too long after, you know, some of these products first launched. Some of these products didn't even exist at this time or at that time. So uh, that, that'll that be interesting to me just to see if the performance and, of course, the interest that you're seeing translates into, uh, into flows. But, Tom, we're going to have to leave it there. Again, congratulations on the Robo Global Index acquisition. Uh, excellent stuff, as always, this week. Thank you for joining me. Appreciate it, Nate. Thank you. That was Tom Hendrickson, president of Vetify. Is it time to amplify your income potential? Explore what a high-quality covered call strategy can do for your monthly income needs. Discover Amplify DIVO and IDVO providing monthly income potential and active management in the efficiency of an ETF. When income matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Get current monthly yields at AmplifyYields.com. There's no guarantee that distributions will be made. Investing risk includes principal loss. ETFs are subject to covered call risk. Visit AmplifyETFs.com to view a prospectus, which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. My next guest is Sean Alaka, Editor-in-Chief at ETF.com, who, of course, is a leading authority on ETF news, data, and analysis. And this year, they are back with their annual ETF.com awards. So these honor the uh, people, the firms, and the ETFs that drove the industry forward during the past year. This is the ninth annual edition of these awards. And Sean is now on the line with me from New York. Sean, great having you on the uh, podcast. Yeah, awesome to be here. Thanks, Nate. Well, first, how has uh, everything been going over at ETF.com? I see you have a new logo. It looks like uh, an entirely new website uh, just rolled out. I'm seeing a lot more activity on social media. Uh, Just tell us what's been going on over at ETF.com. Yeah, a a ton of things. And it's a great day to be on the podcast, actually. I mean, we couldn't have planned it out any better if we tried, Nate, because the New website, as you mentioned, just launched last night, actually. So it's brand new this morning. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, it looks great. We have a new website, a new logo, and a new, new colors, and just a refresh and kind of a kind of a, uh, a little bit of a, of a facelift. But also the new website has brand new tools, brand new, um, like, portfolio management, all sorts of different things, not new things that we didn't actually have on, on the last site. The, the product team has done a fantastic job with that. Um, there's, you know, up to the minute, you know, stock tickers, there's fresh data feeds from Backset um, and all those great APIs and, and all that. And just highlighting the great kind of, you know, the great analysis and editorial work we've, we've done. So it's really nice to, to see it all come together for sure with the website. I mean, the amount of work the team has done has been, has been fantastic. And we're just, we literally started the website rebuild in May of, of last year, June. We got together with outside, outside companies and, you know, meetings in the city and, and virtual, um, just trying to create every single page from scratch. So it, it's been a journey, but it's been really rewarding. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's also great for the readers to have the, the new brand, the new tools. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm happy for all the, the, the hard work is behind us, but, but hopefully a lot of people can get great value out of it. Well, I just pulled it up on my phone here. I've got to tell you, it looks fantastic. It's really visually appealing. I'm excited to uh, go play around with some of the tools out there and uh, and check everything out. Um, okay, so let's talk about these annual awards. And I know 
last year, just with the various changes in the organization, the, these awards were put on hold. But they're back now. I know better than ever. Uh, there are 15 categories, and we'll get into some of the nominees here in a moment. But just tell us about the importance of bringing back these awards. Yeah, as you as you touched on, um, you know, with the pandemic, they canceled the awards in 2020. I, I, um, I think and then 2021, they did it virtually. Last year, with some of the changes, we forego, forewent um, the event. So yeah, we're we're super happy to bring it back this year. I think it's it's nice to to you know the ETF community is such a close kind of knit group of folks, and it's nice to be able to get everyone in the same room, recognize you know those who are pushing the industry forward and, and getting better products to investors. And you know, ever since I came on board, you know, people have always told me how much ETF.com has been helpful to them over the you know since they've been in the industry and how it's been like a bible to them and and you know. Um, it's just nice to be able to get everybody to, you know, recognize some of the, some of the leaders and, and come together, celebrate. And plus, everyone likes to have a nice dinner and, and rub elbows and have a couple of cocktails, right? So it's going to be a great night, and, and we're, we're very pleased to be able to have it this year. Yeah, and that actual awards event itself, that's coming up uh, here soon, right? May 2nd, is that the right date? That's right, sooner and sooner every, every day. Um, yeah, May 2nd, it'll be in New York. Um, I can just pull up the... It's at the um, Tribeca Rooftop, New York City. It'll be May 2nd. I think it starts something like 637. And I believe there's still tickets available. I know they might have closed them today or tomorrow, but I think they're still available. You can find it if you just, you know, Google ETF.com boards, you'll find it. Um, but there's plenty. Yeah, we've had a lot of, a lot of great interest in it, plenty of sponsorships. Um, you know, we already sold almost 200 tickets, I think, already. So it's uh, – the appetite is really out there for the awards, and, and we're, like I said, we can't be more pleased to be thrown at this year. All right, so let's go through the finalists for some of the awards categories. Uh, this is always a lot of fun, and we're not going to get to them all, but I think maybe we can hit on five or six categories here. Um, I guess first, how were the uh, nominees or the finalists actually selected in, in these different categories, and then what's the process mm-hmm. to determine the winners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I mean, like I was just talking about the appetite. I mean, we had 1,300 plus um, nominations, so it was it was it was pretty daunting in the beginning. But there was just such an outpouring of people wanting to be a part part of the process and and the enthusiasm. After missing a year, I think it was really kind of pent up, and people really wanted to. So, like I said, 1,300 awards. I mean, excuse me, nominations is what we started with. The first step was to kind of screen those, make sure we have all the eligible ones, and screen out the ones that weren't and when we kind of started to whittle it down a little bit further from there with some of our, our editorial staff, um, Samit Roy and Heather Bell, they've been here 15 years each, have been here since the start of these awards. Um, we all got together in a room and started thinking about um, whittling them down even more in terms of performance, you know, popularity, inflows, and but really with an eye toward how the ETFs are impacting the industry, how are they improving or providing new options to the investors, how are they giving retail investors new abilities or tools that they weren't available to them, you know, previously? Uh, how is it helping them navigate markets? So all of that stuff kind of played into it. Um, once we got it down even further, we sent it out to a uh, outside group of, of selected judges. Um, many of those, you're, I'm sure you're very well known. Uh, Eric Balkunis, Anna Cabula, Deborah Fuhr, Margarita Chang. There's a whole group. There's like seven or eight of them. You can also find that information on the website. And they uh, actually selected the, the final winners that we that we have now that we'll announce 
May 2nd. So um, out of the 1,300, we've whittled it down. Then um, our editorial staff selected the top um, the top selections, and then we sent that off to an outside group of, of panelists to do the final judging. And just to be clear, these awards are for the calendar year 2022, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go through a few of these uh, categories, and I'll, I'll just tee these up. We'd love to, to hear your thoughts. So first up, I have ETF of the Year, which uh, that has to be one of the biggest awards, at least in my opinion. And the uh, nominees here are the Access Astoria Inflation Sensitive ETF, ticker PPI, the Amplify CWP Enhanced Dividend Income ETF, ticker DEVO, the Invesco Optimum Yield Diversified Commodity Strategy No K1 ETF, ticker PDBC, uh, the J.P. Morgan Equity Premium Income mm-hmm. ETF, JEPI. Uh, and then two more here, the Pacer U.S. Cash Cows 100 ETF, COWS, C-O-W-Z. And then the Schwab U.S. Dividend Equity ETF, S-E-H-D. Uh, what stands out to you from that list? Yeah, um, I mean, this category was really one that jumped off the page in terms of if you're looking for some kind of trends or to have this, these kind of awards show something of what happened in 2022. And, um, you know, it's just all about the, the income ETFs, right? So we saw Jeffy, the Schwab one, as you mentioned, I think Jeffy was one of the largest, um, inflows, I think this year. Um, in, I mean, don't quote me on that, but it had a massive inflows this year, I think 5 billion or something today. Um, but in 2020, even still the Schwab dividend was one that really kind of jumped off. For me, we saw that in terms of just the interest in it from our users of our website. That was one of the top um, researched funds of the year last year. And I mean, only um, below, you know, firms, you know, some from like VTI or QQQ, but it was right up there with them in the top 10 research um, funds, the, the Schwab dividend. Obviously, that speaks to what happened in the market. I mean, obviously, investors are looking for some kind of income and in, in, when, you know, the markets are doing what they did last year. So it's maybe not totally surprising, but it was interesting to pull out that trend. I think the Schwab dividend tops some of the inflows last year, $8.9 billion, I think, um, at some point. I, I don't have the exact time on that, but that, you know, the fund strategy also kind of helped with, you know, by buying stocks of companies that have had paid dividends for, you know, a decade or so. Um, resulted in some solid performance. They had really strong um, companies in their large cap companies a lot a lot of the times, and that was resonating with investors for sure. So, yeah, I think that when the markets obviously are choppy, investors look for look for ways to um, to, to bring an income, and that was the clear story of, of that category. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at Jeppy, Cal's, and SEHD, those were three of the. Uh, ETFs that generated the most interest from investors last year. I think you're right in terms of the income theme, right? We had rising rates last year. Investors didn't want to stand in the in front of the rising rate freight train by owning bonds, so they were looking to equity income options. And then, of course, inflation, which I, I think is still a concern. So if you look at an ETF like PPI or a PDBC, investors looking for a, some hedging there. Um, okay, next I have sure. best new ETF. And I'll quickly run through the five finalists here. So uh, we have the Bond Blocks Bloomberg Six-Month Target Duration U.S. Treasury ETF, ticker XHLF, the Energy and Minerals Group EV Solar and Battery Materials Future Strategy ETF. Say that uh, quick five times. The ticker on that is CHRG. 
Uh, next is the engine number one transform climate ETF, ticker NETS, or net Z, so net zero, N-E-T-Z. The Invesco Electric Vehicle Metals No-K-1 ETF, ticker EVMT. And then lastly, the uh, U.S. Treasury three-month bill ETF, ticker T-bill. Pretty unique list of uh, ETF, mm-hmm. a, a diverse set of products. Anything that you would highlight there? Yeah, I mean, I think it just shows the um, the popularity of thematics, right? I mean, all of those are really interesting themes. I mean, except, I guess, the, the T-bill one, which had a lot, a lot of traction last year as well in terms of people trying to – um, you know, navigate the rising inflation rates and all the rest of it and trying to get um, into some fixed income. So uh, that was the reason, I think, behind that, that, that getting the T-bill becoming one of the best new ETFs, just because of providing uh, one of those options and that was very necessary for investors and that investors really wanted. The others really are just thematic. I mean, I would pull out, I think, um, engine number one, that's, we had a lot of interest and popularity in that one. That one's obviously, as you said, NetZ, um, actively managed. It's also, you know, it's all U.S. equities and it's, you know, ones that are driving um, to reduce carbon or get to, you know, net zero carbon emissions. Um, so it's, it's taking, you know, trying to buy into the energy trans- transformation. Um, you know, so it's, it's not really an ESG fund, but more of a thematic fund. And if you feel the world is finally turning the corner and going to move in the direction of cleaning up the planet, uh, this you know sector could be see strong growth in the coming years. So that one was kind of one of my uh, ones that I liked. But again, it shows the the importance of thematics uh, um, recently and, and how big and how that gained popularity in 2022. Yeah, and as always, I think it just shows the uh, innovation in the ETF space, which I talk a lot about. But, uh, again, pretty unique set of products here. Uh, it just shows mm-hmm. that uh, that innovation. Okay, a few more categories. Uh, let's go with best new active ETFs. Uh, so, look, I mean, active ETFs were a huge story last year. Right. Uh, that's continued this year if you look at flows and new launches. Uh, so the five nominees in this category from last year are the uh, American Century Short Duration Strategic Income ETF, ticker SDSI, the Capital Group Dividend Value ETF, ticker CGDV, uh, the Capital Group Global Growth Equity ETF, ticker CGGO, the Dimensional U.S. Small Cap Value ETF, ticker DFSV, and then the Simplified Managed Future Strategy ETF, ticker CTA. Um any quick thoughts on those ETFs or even just active ETFs uh, as a whole? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think just active ETFs as a whole. I mean, what a, what a story that was for last year. I mean, and again, it, it, I think it's kind of a symptom of the market, perhaps. Um, again, obviously, people trying to find, you know, trying to beat the markets. And obviously, when passive funds are, are tracking those indices that are falling, that's probably not going to be where a lot of investors put their money. I mean, that being said, that last year in terms of total U.S. inflows into ETFs was only slightly behind 2021, which had a banner year. 2020 was a record year for inflows. So 2022, even though the market did what it did, um, bear market, et cetera, et cetera, people still were using ETFs, which I thought would kind of be almost counterintuitive until you kind of think about the the active space, which I know you threw out a number, Nate, um, before about – the only five percent of the active are active ETFs. They took in some thirty percent of of the inflows, which is true. So I mean, that's really the big story. I think all of these active ETFs um, really provide a lot of value to investors. 
uh, you know, similar, different strategies, different price points, but, you know, all can fit the, the, the end investor. Active ETFs, I don't think are going anywhere either, right? I mean, the trend, we just wrote about a survey that I think eight out of 10 advisors uh, say they'll boost their ETF investments next year, and 90% uh, bought active ETFs last year. So it's, it's really a growing trend. I'd be interested to see where it goes, but uh, at least for the, for the short term, it's here to stay. Yeah, I mentioned in my uh, prior segment, when I look at the ETF space overall, I think there's clearly still a lot of white space uh, for active ETFs. And I think th- this trend is going to continue. We're going to continue to see a lot of new launches coming to market here, I think both on the equity and fixed income side. And I think we're going to continue to see uh, outsized flows here. I think to what you were saying that the market environment has shifted and, you know, we, we can debate active versus passive and all that. But I think given the market environment, there's going to be a decent subset of investors who want that active management. Uh, they, they want something different than just riding the indexes. So, yeah, I think this is a category to continue to watch. Um, okay, mm-hmm. two more uh, categories here. And, and actually, just for the sake of time, I'm going to combine them. So uh, first is new ETF issuer of the year. And the finalists there are uh, Alliance Bernstein, Bond Blocks, Emerge Capital Management, Nightshares, and Strategist uh, Asset Management. And then the other category is ETF issuer of the year. So this is like a director of the year or something at the Oscars. But the uh, nominees, and, and this is a longer list, mm-hmm. the nominees are Dimensional Fund Advisors, First Trust, Innovator ETFs, Invesco, J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Pacer ETFs, State Street Global Advisors, and Vanguard. Uh, I, I feel like Vanguard could win this thing just about every year. But um, <laughs> any comments on either of those two uh, categories? Um, yeah, I mean, for, for the ETF issues, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, look, there's a lot of great issues. It's, uh, it's, um, it's hard to really pick. But you're right, Vanguard could, could be top of that list. Investment is a fantastic product. J.P. Morgan had, had Jeppy, which is one of the standouts of last year. So I, I could go a lot of different a lot of different ways. I thought the best new issue that was interesting was Nightshares. Um, they debuted a couple last summer um, that mainly use features to capture after-hours trading, um, which is something that's, that's fairly unique. I mean, they do large-cap, small-cap segments um, of the market. So I thought that was kind of an, is- an interesting one for the new issue of the year. Ultimately, that strategy um, gets like, the after-hour trading about it's not replacing kind of your passive or your buy and holds hold investments, but um, a little bit more about diversifying those those things. Which you could say for a lot of these issuers, and even the best new active funds, that could be a great way to diversify some of the more passive plain vanilla funds. So, um, yeah, that one kind of stands up. But look, you're right. I mean, Vanguard can win it every year. I'm sure. I, I know they have in the past. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting to see where the judges land on that. Yeah, on the new ETF issuers, the one that really stands out to me is Bond Blocks and what they're doing in the fixed income mm-hmm. space and really uh, slicing and dicing, particularly the high-yield bond market. So I think they're they're one to watch. Um, Sean, mm-hmm. just about a minute left here. Let's actually close with uh, one last category because this is always a fun one, one of my favorites, which is <laughs> new ETF ticker of the year. And uh, let me burn through the finalists here. So we have... The God Bless America ETF. The ticker is YALL, Y-A-L-L. We have the uh, ProShares S&P Global Core Battery Metals ETF, ticker ION. Uh, We have the Residential REIT Income ETF, ticker HOUSE, H-A-U-S. The Round Hill Cannabis ETF, ticker WEED. That's a great one. 
The uh, mm-hmm. Subversive Mental Health ETF, ticker SANE, S-A-N-E, and then the uh, Subversive Metaverse ETF, ticker PUNK, P-U-N-K. Uh, quickly here, do you have a favorite out of those? Um, I, I think I'm allowed to say that I did vote for y'all. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> I'd love to hear your your point of view, too, Nate, but I thought um, uh, House was good. Weed was good. I thought they even could have went a little more on weed. Instead of just doing weed, they could have done, like, bong or high or something. Really went and had fun with it, but... Um, yeah, the punk is fun. I, I did go with y'all. I thought that was just so fitting for a God Bless America ETF. Um, but I'm uh, happy to hear your thoughts, too. I would probably go with that one as well. The weed is a uh, a, a tough competitor there. But as yeah. I think about that space, who is it, Cambria, that has the uh, toke ETF for, for their cannabis ETF, which I like. But, I mean, all good entries. Yeah. Even the house. I, I like the residential yeah. read income. The house is, is pretty good. So the ticker symbols yeah. never uh, cease to amaze me in the ETF space. But, Sean, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, so great having you on the podcast. Uh, really exciting to hear about all the uh, new initiatives over at ETF.com. Uh, certainly best of luck with the award ceremony next month. I can't make it out there, but uh, I'll be watching to see who the winners are. Thank you for joining me this week. Oh, thank you so so much for having me. Happy to do it, do it again anytime. Thanks, Nate. That was Sean Alaka, Editor-in-Chief at ETF.com. NASDAQ ETFs are always on the leading edge of market quality, execution, and reform. Providing tailored ETF services spanning product development, compliance, trading, market structure support, and unparalleled marketing tools to differentiate, activate, and amplify your brand throughout your product lifecycle. Visit our ETF landing page today for high-touch ETF support every step of the way. I'm now joined by Eddie Alfenbein, Portfolio Manager for the Advisor Shares Focused Equity ETF, ticker symbol CWS, which currently has over $50 million in assets. It's a five-star Morningstar rated fund, and Eddie is now on the line with me from Washington, D.C. Eddie, uh, so great to connect. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. All right, so I know this ETF uh, has been out for a while now, and I've actually followed you on Twitter for uh, quite some time, but somehow our paths just haven't previously crossed. And so uh, to start, I would just love to have you uh, tell us a little bit more about your background and uh, how this ETF came to be. I mean, I know you have a website at CrossingWallStreet.com. You also have a newsletter at Substack. That's at uh, CWS.Substack.com. Maybe tell us about those and how you ended up with uh, an ETF, which I know this is all tied together. Yeah, no, I love to tell the stories. Basically, my background was investment newsletters. For people who may remember uh, Phil's publishing uh, many years ago, they were sort of the kingpin of a lot of investment newsletter publishing. So I I worked for them for a number of years, and then uh, right at about that time, this is when blogging started in the early 2000s. And so I wanted to uh, start my own blog, and I did it with uh, Crossing Wall Street, uh, which I I still have uh, today. And one of the things when I started doing it, I wanted to show people that it's much easier to be a good investor than people realize, as long as you have 
uh, discipline, you stick with good stocks, you buy and hold, you can, you can do well. And so I really wanted to prove that. So I started doing a, um, my buy list. So every year I chose 20 stocks and I chose that as the, and I, and I decided I wouldn't make any changes throughout the entire year. I would just hold this set 20 stocks and see how it did each year. And I've been doing it for now. We're in our 18th year. And the results have been uh, quite good. We're, we're ahead of the market by about 100% stretch over those uh, 18 years. And, uh, I, you know, we, we had done it and beca- became popular. And so many people said, I love your buy list. Can I invest in it? Do you manage money? And I didn't. And I had no answer. So I connected with um, uh, Noah Hammond at Advisor Shares. And he's nearby me. He's in uh, Bethesda. So we sort of talked it over. We said, is there a product here? Is there interest? And this is very unusual uh, that it's a, 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 is there an investment product coming out of the world of blogging and tweeting? And we decided, yes, there is. <laughs> and we, uh, we launched the product in September of 2016. And, you know, it's, it's been a steady grower, steadily uh, ga- gaining adherence. And we recently got our uh, fifth star from Morningstar for three and five year performance, and we just cracked uh, 50 million in uh, uh, net assets. So we, we're a small boat, but we're doing well. You know, every year hundreds of ETFs close down, and we are in, I guess, six and a half years, and we're still going strong. Okay, so the CTF again, the Advisor Shares Focused Equity ETF. Uh, you, you just described. You know what's underpinning this, the, the crossing Wall Street buy list. Take us through some of the, the details here, like in terms of how you're actually selecting stocks and maybe anything else you would highlight about the ETF itself. Right. So uh, what I do is I have a, what I call a watch list. It's probably about 80 stocks or so. I, it tends to grow too large for me, and it gets I don't like when it gets over 100 or 120, but these are what I would call good companies. So something that I know something about, I I can't claim to have a detailed knowledge of so many, but generally these are, these are well-run companies. I like companies with consistent operating history, have a strong market uh, position, really dominate whatever business they're in. A number of years of consistently rising sales, earnings, and dividends. And so that's where I say, okay, this is a good company. And so that's our uh, our watch list. I describe it as kind of the minor leagues for the buy list. And as I said, I only make uh, changes once a year. So at the end of the year, it's done on December 31st. If a comp- if one of the companies on the watch list looks particularly good, and I think it's 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 it has a solid business and a good share price then it gets elevated uh, to the buy list. Let me add one other fact, and this is kind of dealing with the reality of the market. We had to expand the buy list from 20 to 25 stocks. Why was that? Well, because we ran against a lot of the uh, SEC's rules about diversification, Mm. and we were uh, rubbing up against uh, some of the um, preferred limits. 
And so we decided to add in five more, and that helped us out greatly to stay away from those uh, having too much uh, weighted in one or two stocks. So, uh, but yeah, that, that's this basically has a, a going from uh, the watch list to the buy list. So, in terms of that actual buy list, let's say that twenty-five stocks. Um, at the end of every year, I guess the beginning of the next year, will you always replace stocks within the ETF or do you simply have the potential to? Like, I'm curious, what happens if you uh, you absolutely love all 25 of your holdings and you don't want to sell anything? Do you still have to? Or does that never happen in reality? It, it's never happened, but, I mean, it is possible. It, there's nothing in the perspective that, that says so. Um, I've always had, you know, five stocks that I've wanted to get. And what happens very often is that there's a merger or something. So that usually will, will take care of a, of a couple. So in many respects, really just uh, changing, you know, three or two or three each year. But, yeah, I, I, there's, there's nothing uh, in the rules that says I can't keep uh, all 25. I haven't done it yet, but it, I may do it. Uh, less work for me. <laughs> what, what about on the uh, the other side? Like, I'm curious, is it ever hard for you to uh, to wait to change out holdings? What, what happens if you come across a truly wonderful new opportunity? Does it pain you to have to uh, wait since you can only change holdings every year? Well, uh, it, it can, yes. But here's the thing about this. Waiting, I feel, it, it adds a level of discipline so to a lot of people, that sounds like a straitjacket. In many ways, it's a benefit because it forces you to think the most rationally and the most businesslike about your decisions. You also know that, that with a turnover of five each year and 25 stocks, that means that at minimum, there's an average of five years that you're going to hold this. So I'm looking at this thing. Is this a company that at this current price, will I be comfortable owning it for an average of five years? Adding that that just sort of mechanistic rule forces you to think differently about the stocks. So in many ways, I think it actually helps me rather than a lot of people think like it's a straitjacket about your decisions. No, that's a great point uh, regarding the discipline. And I, I guess on that note, I mean, is your making – these stock selections, these these decisions around what you're going to add to the portfolio. Can you offer a little more insight into how you approach fundamental analysis? Uh, perhaps you can highlight a holding or, or two in the ETF. I'm just curious how you've approached evaluating that holding and what, what it is specifically you like. Uh, I'll give you a good example is Stryker. Uh, this is the uh, you know, medical devices uh, company. Wonderful, wonderful company. And it's been on our uh, buy list, which you know preceded the ETF by a number of years. But it's been on the buy list for, I'm guessing, 16 or 17 years, something like that, Near, nearly from, from the beginning. And I remember at that time thinking, wow, it would be great if Stryker would get below $80 per share. That would be great. And it got to 72 right at the, the end of the year. And I said, Great, this is one I, I, I want to add. And I, know, I remember thinking, uh, this, this was, I got a great deal. And shortly afterwards, there was the financial crisis, and everything got tossed down. And Stryker, I think, got to a low of about $30 per share. 
And I knew I still, I still liked it, so I never got rid of it, held on to it all through those dark times. Another thing to point out, and this is a, an important fact to get to investors, a lot of times the best year you own an investment is maybe the third or fourth year. That's very common. A lot of investors really understand, you, you need to understand the discipline you have, the real payoff. So many times that's been my third or fourth year. Same thing happened with Hershey as well, which has done very, very well. It was kind of flat when it started out uh, for us, kind of kept pace with the market. But only in the last 18 months has it really turned into a nice winner for us. But uh, so get, getting back to Stryker, that, that was uh, not a strong performer for, for us, even though the fundamentals were uh, looked quite good. And then only a few years down the road did it really start to perform uh, well for us. Even just this past year, I think over the summer, it dropped 30% quite sharply for reasons I didn't think were very sound, but we held on. Uh, they, their last earnings report, I want to say they had, they had uh, $3 per share beat of uh, 282 or 284 something like that. It was a very solid beat, and they were looking – to earn uh, $10 per share for this year. Now, compare that. The earnings of $10 per share, and at one time I owned it when it was at $30 per share. Uh, and then just yesterday they uh, they closed at a new all-time high. I think they're up again today. So Stryker is getting to be about $300 per share. So we've done very, very well with the company, but we've stuck with the company with uh, solid fundamentals, a company that has a, a very strong market share in its sector, and patience has, uh, has uh, rewarded us. Eddie, when it comes to active management in general, and I'm going to ask you the uh, cliche question here that I ask, I think, of all active managers on this podcast, what, why do you think active can still work? I mean, you're taking a traditional active approach here, right? Bottom up, mm. uh, fundamental analysis. You're looking at things like intrinsic value and trying to find high-quality stocks that can outperform. Some might say that's a lost start uh, with, with the rise of passive and even some of the other active strategies out there that don't appear to be paying attention to things like uh, earnings and, uh, you know, actually generating cash. But uh, just talk about why you think traditional uh, fundamental stock selection can still work. Yeah. The thing is, I don't see any battle between active and passive. Indexing is a great strategy. I have nothing against it. I wouldn't dissuade anybody. It's a perfectly fine strategy. There's one simple thing about active investing. is It's a lot of fun. You're matching wits against the market and trying uh, to beat the market. I, I, you know, quite obviously, I still think there are uh, there's opportunities for disciplined investors uh, to to beat the market. There's all sorts of mispricings. There's also remember there are hundreds and hundreds of stocks that aren't followed by any investment uh, analyst, so people know very little about this. I'll give you one example that's on our buy list is Little Miller Industries. They they make uh, tow trucks. Uh, I, as far as I know, I'm the only one who, who writes about them. They're not followed by a single Wall Street analyst. So the, the thing about uh, active, uh, the, the indexing is it assumes that uh, the news is known about everything all the time, all at once. And I don't think that's necessarily true. Sometimes the market is 
purely irrational. We saw, I remember during the, um, the COVID market, uh, when Zoom became very popular and shares of Z-O-O-M took off. Unfortunately, that is not the ticker symbol for Zoom. It's V-H. It shows you just how irrational uh, markets uh, can be. So I still think there is a room for, uh, for active uh, investors. And there's a way, if it, assuming you are disciplined and you stick with high-quality stocks, I think that, that uh, you can prosper. And we've done, we, I think we've, we've proven it so far. Eddie, just a couple of minutes left here. I want to make sure we talk about the fee structure for your ETF, which is an industry first. And actually, do you know, are there any other ETFs currently using this uh, fulcrum fee structure right now? I should know that. Yeah, I, I do not know of that. Okay. So so for people who are unfamiliar with this, uh, explain how a fulcrum fee works. And I'm, I'm curious why you decided to use that fee structure. Right. Well, it, it's basically skin in the game. That's what we wanted to say. And when I uh, sat down with my uh, partner, Noah, we said we wanted to come up with a product, which I really love the ETF structure, is that we could make a product like no other in the investing world. And what we said is we wanted to be on the side of investors and show that our skin is in the game. So what a fulcrum fee is, the fee structure uh, moves along with our performance versus the benchmark, versus the S&P 500. Very simply stated, if we beat the S&P 500, I get a little bonus. If we fall short of the S&P 500, shareholders get a break in their uh, fee structure. So it will actually decline if we fall short of the S&P 500. So it's, it's just think of the fulcrum. It, it, it moves depending on how well we do. You know, compared to this to the traditional hedge fund where you get two and 20, it really doesn't matter how well you do, but you're doing uh, very well. And we wanted to be much more on the side of investors. Um, I, I don't know the, I, I forget the exact parameters of how, how it feels. I believe it's 75 basis points is the neutral one if we perform along with the S&P 500. And then it, it goes between 0.65 and 0.85%, depending on how, how well we do. Eddie, just about a minute left here. You mentioned the uh, S&P 500 is the uh, sort of the benchmark there on the fee. I'm just curious, how, how do you see your ETF being used in a portfolio? Because it is much more concentrated, right? 25 stocks or so. But I know you believe that still offers proper diversification. Uh, it's also a low turnover strategy, right? You're certainly not darting in and out of uh, exactly, positions. Yeah. So, so do you view this as a core holding? Is it a satellite position? Can it be either? Just briefly here, how, how does this fit into a broader portfolio? Yeah, I would view at its essence, I would view it as a core holding because it's broadly diversified and quite conservative depending, uh, you know, your mileage may vary is what you're looking for in your portfolio. But I would certainly say, say it is. I think for a lot of people, they use it more as a satellite holding, and they'll have maybe a 5 or 10% share waiting uh, for it. But in its essence, in what we're trying to do, I would view it as a, uh, as a solid core holding, and then you can build you, you off your por- portfolio from that. Well, Eddie, so great to uh, finally connect. Really enjoyed the uh, conversation. Listeners, check out Eddie's Substack. Again, it's at cws.substack.com. Eddie, uh, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thanks for having me.
That was Eddie Elfenbein, Portfolio Manager for the Advisor Shares Focused Equity ETF. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. I want to thank one of our sponsors, U.S. Benchmark Series. If you would like to learn more about U.S. Benchmark Series ETFs, you can visit USTreasuryETF.com. Next week, I'll be joined by Marcelo Sampeo, who is co-founder and CEO of Hashdex, uh, who actually launched the world's first crypto index ETF a couple of years ago. And then last year, they launched the first 1933 Act Bitcoin Futures ETF here in the U.S. So we will discuss all of that. And then I'll also be joined by Amplify's Christian Magoon, uh, always one of my favorite guests. We'll go through uh, several of their income-focused ETFs. Until then, have a great week, everyone.